Liron Hirschkorn, your host of the e-commerce mindset podcast. In this episode, I got a chance to interview the head of all of e-commerce for Wix.com. Wix is a uh, publicly traded company and platform for uh, building websites. They've been doing a lot on the e-commerce front and got a chance to talk to their head of e-commerce about, you know, what are some of the KPIs brand owners should be looking for when uh, looking at their e-commerce store. We talked about conversion optimization, uh, average order value, driving growth, uh, inventory management between, you know, online and offline and a variety of interesting topics around uh, sort of e-commerce direct to consumer marketing. I think you really enjoy this uh, interview with Liat from Wix. Wix happens to be a publicly traded company that was founded um, in Israel and is one of the most successful sort of unicorn uh, companies uh, out of there and building an amazing technology platform. Uh, as always, the podcast is sponsored by IncrementumDigital.com. Incrementum Digital is my agency where we help brands accelerate their sales. I see us as a growth engine for brands on the Amazon platform with ads management, DSP, full brand management, and creative services as well. In addition, if you are looking for growth capital for your business, reach out to me, uh, send me an email. I'm a shareholder in a company that is uh, disrupting the space with a more innovative solution to uh, funding brands that is more cost effective and helps you grow uh, faster and have access to more capital. And lastly, if you're looking to exit your business, uh, reach out a lot of exciting things that are happening in the space around there. My email is in the show notes. Enjoy this episode talking all about direct to consumer marketing in e-commerce. Okay, so today we have with us on the show a uh, special guest, uh, Liat Karpel Gerwitz is head of e-commerce marketing at Wix uh, and Wix.com. She leads growth and strategic marketing for the Wix e-commerce platform, which powers more than 700,000 online stores worldwide. Uh, in 2020, Wix sellers surpassed $5.4 billion uh, in online transactions with 140% year-over-year growth in sales transactions and 114% year-over-year growth in overall sales revenue. Uh, in addition to driving the e-commerce marketing strategy at Wix, Liat also leads product marketing for the company's e-commerce hardware development and its payments platform, uh, season branding and marketing expert. Uh, previously, uh, Liat headed up the uh, marketing for tech companies, including Como, Conduit, and DB Motion. Uh, Liat, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Um, so, um, before we kind of dive into some, some more specific e-commerce, um, questions, we'd love to hear a little bit of the, the background of Wix and how maybe like how Wix, uh, I guess, transformed into a more of an e-commerce type of platform. Sure. So I think Wix is probably best known today, um, for our website building platform. Um, which is exactly how Wix started. So originally our founders, when they launched Wix, um, launched that startup out of a pain that they had themselves for a different startup that they've been running um, where they had really struggled to create their website. Um, and as they went through that struggle, they kind of pivoted into understanding that this is what people really needed was um, a way to be able to do that themselves. And that's um, how Wix was originally born. 
Um, over the years, we've really focused on creating um, a really deep web platform that allows our users to develop whatever they need for their businesses and brands online. So it's extended, of course, way beyond just the website aspect, which of course we continue to do. Um, and today we have development tools like Velo, we have our e-commerce platform, we have our own native CRM, um, which also today is our own payment provider. So we kind of, we always like to say that we grow um, with our users and with the audience. So we always try to go deeper and give them the best tools and solutions that they need. Yeah, absolutely. And I think also Wix is, um, I, I might I might not be correct, but maybe one of the most successful sort of tech companies to launch out of, um, out of Israel uh, as well. Yeah, I mean, we're definitely one of the, the more successful, I don't know if we can claim the most, but we're, we're definitely um, up there on the list today. And um, we're very proud of that. So, um, you know, we've been growing for a long time. And, and today, uh, we're a public company. Um, we're active in 190 countries. We have over 200 million users worldwide. So growing all the time. Yeah. And, and, you know, I saw this week, we didn't, didn't necessarily, you know, have this, uh, have this plan, but you, you also just launched um, uh, something called Spaces, um, which is a, which is a, a mobile app uh, that allows, uh, businesses to kind of engage more with uh, with customers. Yeah, yeah. So that app um, is designed to allow businesses and brands to engage with their customers to create their own um, mobile experience and space, if you like, um, for their customers. Uh, and depending on your business, if you're um, creating content or selling products or services, to do that through a direct connection with your customers. Excellent. Um, so I imagine in the last year, um, probably since COVID hit, um, just like probably every, everybody else and every other platform, um, you've probably seen a lot more adoption and, you know, people getting into e-commerce and also probably like existing e-commerce owners um, just selling selling a lot more. Like what, what have you seen to be sort of the biggest, you know, shift in the last in the last year from like from both new uh new sellers new brands launching like on wix and as well as like for existing you know existing like store owners yeah so you know i think 2020 was a year that caused explosive growth in e-commerce um it changed the way that businesses sell um online it changed the way that people shop online and I think now we've kind of taken this quantum leap forward and the future is here and shoppers expect brands to meet them where they are. And a lot of the time that's online. So we definitely saw more um, businesses than ever before moving online. Over 2020, um, our network grew um, from around 400,000 active stores to where we are now at over 700,000 active online stores. So that already tells you something about the scale of growth happening in the e-commerce space. Um, and, you know, over the months, we just saw their sales and revenue continuing to grow um, up until today. So, you know, th this is 
a, a movement that's continuing to happen. And I think what we're seeing this year is how businesses are focusing so much more on now making e-commerce part of their business model and focusing on building out strategy. You know, if 2020 was a year that was a lot more reactive, you know, everyone just had to kind of shift and adapt to survive in many ways. Um, this year, we see how people are really going all in and building that out into their businesses. Yeah, and, um, you know, I think that's going to become even more important, um, you know, in, in some ways, um, in 2020, it, you could say it was easier when people couldn't, couldn't necessarily leave, leave the house, um, right? Like they had to shop online. Now, you know, as I'm starting to go out as, as the world, I think will start to open up more as, as people get vaccinated. Um, you're only going to have to get that much better. And today you also have, you have, you have also more competitors, right. That are mm-hmm. all looking to, to, to sell online. So you really need to, to kind of, to kind of get better. What do you think like e-commerce owners should be thinking about to be able to continue that momentum, um, you know, to, to continue to drive sales, like as they're, you know, thinking about their business and their platform and, um, and products. Absolutely. So I definitely think that, you know, the, the next stage um, of challenge for businesses is figuring out how they integrate all these pieces. So, you know, I think you have the offline element if you have brick and mortar, if you're selling in an offline setting, plus the online piece of your business, as well as a lot of other sales channels that you're potentially using. So, you know, there are a lot of strong marketplaces, social media plays a big role in that. So I think one of the things that businesses are looking for is our solutions and platforms that allow them to integrate all of their channels online and offline. Um, into a single system so that you're managing all of your inventory, all of your orders, all of your fulfillment, all of your data. And I think that that's a really big deal, all of your data um, and analytics on a single platform so that you're getting a real view of your business um, and also tracking your customers across all of those channels. So, you know, I think what 2020 did was give a lot of businesses um, insight and a taste of what a D2C model looks like, you know, which D2C classically has always been for these kind of web companies born and grown online. And in the last year, we've seen many, many more businesses adopting D2C uh, methodologies and strategies as part of what they're doing. And really understanding how taking ownership over that relationship with your customer and owning your data firsthand can impact your ability to grow as a business. So I think it's taking what you started doing and then going deeper, but making sure that you're building that out um, in a solid way with the right foundation, with the right tools, so that you can grow all of these areas in parallel. Yeah, and I think things are are shifting where it used to be maybe somebody was in retail and and then created a D2C channel. Now, people are going D2C first and then going into, and then going into retail, Yeah, um, you know, kind, kind of behind, behind, behind it. But, you know, is there, is there a system that, you know, sort of, um, you, you know, would allow you to connect those sort of retail buyers with, with, with D2C or like, 
how should a brand think about that? Let's say, you know, I just got my supplements into Target mm -hmm. and I also am selling and selling online. Um, you know, are you, are you doing, are you trying to drive or thinking about how should I drive things on my packaging so that they come onto my social media so that I can also capture those, those retail customers or, or they come to my website or um, I can directly interact with those customers that I'm not selling directly to? Yeah, so I think that whatever, you know, external channel you're using, that's not an owned channel, you need to think about ultimately um, how you're going to build connection with that customer. So whether it's a retailer or a marketplace, you know, you're using that channel basically to get access to new shoppers who are not aware of your brand or product necessarily, but are in a shopping scenario looking for something um, and hopefully discover your product and buy from there. Um, but what you would ultimately like, and that's great, right? I always say in e-commerce, every sale is a sale that's amazing. Um, but ultimately, mm -hmm. when you acquire a customer, you know, you want to think about how you're going to continue earning from that customer um, for a lifetime and not just have that one sale. So I think you need to be thinking about ways that you're able to engage with that customer moving forward. So if you're in an online setting, it's a little bit easier because then um, you're starting to collect that data online and hopefully you're able to reach out to them on additional channels. But if we're talking about a channel, for example, like an, an offline retailer, then I think you can think about ways that you encourage consumers to engage with your brand online, even if it's making sure that all of your social handles and websites are clearly you know, messaged on your product, maybe giving them an incentive to come there and engage with you um, so that they get some kind of value and then you're able to follow up with them moving forward. Um, if we're talking about your own um, brick and mortar situation, then I think you definitely want to make sure you're choosing a platform that's going to allow you to connect your point of sale system to your e-commerce platforms so that you have one source of inventory, one source of fulfillment, again, one source of data. Same is true for other sales channels that you're integrating online. If it's a marketplace like Amazon or eBay, um, if it's a social media channel. Um, and then once you're doing that, you start to see your customer across all the touch points. So maybe today you bought a candle for me online and then, you know, next month you'll come into my brick and mortar to buy another product for me um, in the brick and mortar. You want to make sure that your team, when that customer walks in the door of your, of your store, is able to pull up their full history. Then you're able to give them, you know, better service, better offers and deals. Um, you're able to encourage loyalty because they can carry all their purchases across no matter where they're um, buying from you, whatever channel they're on. So, you know, thinking about how you bring all of that together, both for your business in terms of the management and the data, but also for your customer in terms of all the places that they're engaging and buying from your brand. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so you can see, okay, this customer bought... Uh, you know, they bought on Amazon the first time, the second time they bought, you know, on my, um, you know, the second time they bought on my website. Um, now they're in the brick and mortar store, et cetera. And you can, you can track that, that customer behavior. Um, I want to talk a little bit about, um, you know, what, what, what are the most important um, KPIs 
that people should be looking at when when looking, you know, okay, I'm selling I'm selling products through, you know, through my e-commerce store, but what are the most important um, things that I should be looking at to see, you know, if I'm on, you know, if I could be doing better or things that I should improve and like, what are you seeing as far as like, sort of like average conversion rates, you know, across, let's say, you know, the, the 700,000 like users or, or the amount of like e-commerce users across like Wix, like what, what are typical like standards that somebody might be listening to that they can sort of compare, um, let's say conversion rate, for, for example, um, in terms of how, how they compare to what's like, what's industry average. Mm-hmm. So first of all, I think that when we're talking about e-commerce, there are so many metrics and KPIs that you're looking at all the time, right? So you're looking at visitors, bounce rates, click-through rates, conversion rates, average order value, uh, add to card ratio, you know, the list goes on and on. Um, and they're all really important KPIs, um, but they focus on short-term goals. And I think if we're going back to mm-hmm. that statement of, you know, want to acquire a customer, because whenever you get somebody to buy a product from you, you know, you invest so much in acquiring that customer. You invest time, resources, marketing budget. So although that sale is great, in the long term, you want to make sure that you're able to build a, lo- a lifelong relationship with that customer and see more and more sales. So I think that's going to take us directly to customer lifetime value, and, and we can talk more about that and how mm-hmm. you're going to work there. In terms of standards in, for conversion rates or whatever metric you're looking at, um, those really vary depending on like industry and, and product type. So, you know, an e-commerce business selling one thing is not going to have the same rate as somebody else. So you definitely want to be aware of like the, the benchmarks for your industry. But then I think over time, you want to focus on your metrics and how you're optimizing, improving those and really understanding them. So I'll start with the customer lifetime value, um, which really is just basically that, the total estimated revenue that you're going to earn from a customer um, over their lifetime um, as a customer or over a specific amount of time. And the reason that this matters is that by focusing on your returning customers and their lifetime value, you're giving your business kind of a North Star for growing profits, right? And by increasing lifetime value, you are ultimately increasing profits. You're also getting a really accurate gauge on what a customer is actually worth to your business. Um, And that lets you structure your marketing investments so you're maximizing profit margins. Um, And it helps you down to like granular levels of even determining max bids on your um, paid ads platform. So there's a lot of value in doing that. And I think one of... Is there there a certain amount of... Is there a certain amount of time you should be looking at lifetime value? Meaning, should you be thinking about, you know, how much is this customer spending over a year, over really their lifetime with us? Maybe I've had a store for five years and this customer has made one purchase every year and and that counts. Or should you be thinking about a a different time period? And the reason I ask Mm -hmm. is partly because of that marketing spend, right? Like, you yeah, might, you're, you, you are might. asking the exact question that a business should be asking. So I'll start by saying, take into account that your customer acquisition cost is often higher than their first purchase revenue. So if you don't know your lifetime value, 
um, and understand that you're probably only going to start making money from their second or third purchase, A, you might drop a good customer lead source, and B, you might not understand the importance of investing in your customer retention system. That being said, there are challenges with lifetime value and ROI models because when you're looking at a really long time frame, there are all kinds of issues that come in there. Acquisition costs and conversion rates change with time, they're not constant. Retention rates change with time and they're not constant. You need to make decisions about your marketing budget now and not later. So, you know, on this one, I'll even say that at Wix, um, you know, for ourselves, we do not use lifetime value to plan or optimize our marketing investment. We use a completely different methodology called TROI, time to return on investment. But obviously, we're um, a freemium online SaaS platform with 200 million users around the world. So our business is really different. And that's another conversation for another day. But what it comes back to is exactly what you're saying, short term versus long term. So in the short term, you really want to focus on bringing relevant shoppers, covering your acquisition costs, and returning your marketing investment as quickly as possible so that you can go and reinvest that money and bring more customers. In the long term, you want to know that you're growing customer value and revenues um, so that you're able to build your business and then optimize and increase profitability. Um, but you need to kind of look at both ends of the spectrum. So whenever I talk about how you're going to you know, do the math of your lifetime value, I recommend doing cohort-based customer value and ROI, okay? because for your customer value calculations to be actionable, you need to know how quickly you obtain that value over a certain time period, which is exactly what you're saying, right? You need to know when, when is it coming? So I recommend that you create cohorts based on your customer's purchase frequency or repurchase rate. So it might be 30 days, 60 days, 90 days, even 120 days. But it just needs to be enough time to get your customer to that second purchase. Right, that's the time frame you want to be looking at, because within that time frame, by looking at the customer lifetime value in that shorter window, you're able to optimize your acquisition budget and spend um, because you're basing it on when and which products customers are purchasing and you know how much they're worth to you in the short term. You're better able to plan your post-purchase marketing campaigns because you're doing it based on the lag time between purchases. So you really want to be thinking, when is the second, when is the third? Um, and you get a baseline metric to measure whether your post-purchase activities are working, right? So, and then, then you're able to optimize how you're cutting down the time between that first and second purchase. So lifetime value is important. You want to know the long term and you want to get an accurate view of what customers are worth. But um, in the short term, you really want to make sure that you're focusing on that cohort-based value. Um, and then you can figure out how you optimize acquisition strategy, reduce your cost of acquisition to optimize your ROI ratio. Um, and you can think about things like how you optimize your buyer journey um, for increasing average order values, um, how you use inbound and retention strategies to increase order frequency. So, you know, think short-term and long-term and then figure out how you make smart decisions. Right. right. So like you said, the, the things like, you know, how many vis visitors am I getting? How many, what, what is my bounce rate? Uh, what is my conversion rate? That is all 
I mean, to some extent, short term, but that is all sort of like just optimizing the, I guess, the the experience of your store and, and how much traffic you're driving. Um, and then the long term is what is the back end strategy of once I do capture that customer, how am I, how am I driving them to buy additional, either additional products or maybe if it's a consumable product, getting them to, to repurchase. And then how am I getting them to repurchase even, you know, instead of every 90 days, every 45 days, right? Yeah, and exactly. maybe there's, maybe there's, there's, there's steps you can take on education or certain marketing, right? That, that you can get them to um, buy again or deals, et cetera. I, I think obviously email marketing and, and showing those existing customers ads uh, again would be a major sort of component of driving that repeat uh, re- repeat purchase. Would would you say that it's? Um, I mean, that it's that that today. I mean, really, in order to be successful, like running running ads or working with influencers or sort of driving traffic, um, it really comes down to the execution of of the back end, right? Because that that initial customer acquisition will often be either break even or or a loss. Right. So and you really need to optimize t- towards You have to know it, right? End. I think part of the challenge is first of all understanding what you're working with. If you're aware of exactly what your customer acquisition cost is and what your customer is worth to you in the short term, intermediate and long term, then you can make business decisions about where you're willing to invest more and take a a, a hit now in order to build long-term growth. And it also tells you where you want to focus, right? If you're making a decision like I'm going to invest in acquiring certain kinds of customers that are not going to be returning that cost to me on the first purchase, then you know you have to do the work on the retention and the inbound, right? And you really want to focus on driving those repeat purchases and cutting down that time a lot. So all of those things depend on each other. I think when you're thinking about stuff like, Am I going to do ads? Am I going to work with influencers? Am I creating my own content? Which channels am I putting this stuff on? It's going to come down to you being super clear on what you're trying to achieve and who your target audience is. So I know this sounds super basic, but it's really not. I find that a lot of times when people are thinking about channels, they're thinking about channels in terms of oh, this is like the latest e-commerce channel or the trendiest one, or I hear people are doing really well here. And they're not really taking that back to, A, who are my customers? Okay, who is my target audience? What channels are they on? Am I even going to be able to reach relevant people if I'm choosing this channel, this marketplace, this whatever? You have to know who your customers are, where they shop, where they go online, are they on TikTok? Are they on Facebook? Do they buy on Amazon? Do they read emails? Like you have to know the stuff so that you're able to choose the right channel to engage them. And you also need to think about like, what is your goal? Are you trying to acquire completely new shoppers who have never engaged with your brand before? Um, do you want to get to them while they're in that browsing stage? Then you're going to think about things like marketplaces or, um, or search engines where you catch people like in that actively shopping state. Do you want to try and target them through social media where you're going based off of like the demographics and personas and those other targeting capabilities that you get on those networks like lifestyle where you're driving awareness, not necessarily when people are in that shopping state of mind, but coming to like super relevant people? Or are you trying to re-engage previous customers, right? 
And if you're super clear with yourself on what you're trying to do and who are the people that you're trying to engage, then you can make better decisions about how you bring those things together. Yeah, absolutely. So I think it's, a, it's you know, a great way to, to think. And probably, you know, you should probably you should be thinking about all, all of these things, right? That customer that is searching for, uh, you know, vitamin C serum, um, the demographic of the per of, you know, of maybe um, the, the person who is who might be your highest sort of um, demographic for that for that particular uh, purchase, engaging with them on social media, using influencers, etc. And then also re engaging customers. Um, you, you probably need to think about need to think about all three. But um, to your point, uh, you know, for example, I think, like you said, there's sort of like the latest platform. There's obviously a lot of uh, a lot of conversation about, you know, TikTok is is driving ads, you know, on my my, uh, my sort of personal expertise is more on the Amazon marketplace side. And, you know, now you see on Amazon, like the top 100 search terms are things that are influenced directly by viral uh, by viral TikTok. Yeah. Uh, videos that, that are driving actual search uh, on Amazon. Recent, most recently, it was TikTok leggings. Uh, it was like a top 100 search term, and then now it's um, chlorophyll water, uh, for example. So, um, you know, TikTok being being like a major driver that actually leads to search. But understanding where your customers are and what you're trying to achieve, I think, is um, is kind of a key before you go necessarily spend spending marketing dollars in places where your customers don't necessarily ex exist absolutely and i think like where you're making those smart choices then you can dive into things like you're saying now where you start to better understand how you use that channel um to your benefit or if maybe there's an adjacent channel that goes along um with the main one but uh you know where you're doing it right i'll say i can say from our network where um, stores are adding a sales channel like a marketplace or social media. They typically increase sales by around 12% um, just by adding that channel and connecting it into their e-commerce business. So you know, there's a lot of things you can do to, to grow your sales and, and increase exposure, but um, you know, not everything works for every business. And as long as you're going into it with a clear goal and, and KPI in mind. Yeah. And, and I mean, how do you see, like, what are the, I guess, lowest hanging fruit type of, of optimizations that you see people making to their websites, for example, to, you know, ultimately improve the customer experience, uh, which, you know, should, should improve um, conversion rate? Is it, is it things like, you know, adding upsells or, you know, um, yeah you know, a bundle or, you know, what, what, what are the things that you see people doing that are the most actionable, like lowest hanging fruit um, of opportunity to, to improve on? So you definitely have to have a good upsell or cross-sell strategy in place. Um, it's really important to understand the difference between the two because they can either work really well or you could end up creating a mess for yourself. And I'll explain what I mean there. So upsell is when you try and get a customer to buy um, 
a better, superior, more expensive version of the product. So let's say you're at my store um, and you're looking at my candles um, and I show you, you know, the super duper fancy candles. Um, and a cross sale is when you try and convince customers to buy additional related products um, along with the product that they're considering buying. So if you came for a candle, I try to sell you a candle holder and matches and stuff that goes along with the, the candle. So mm -hmm. you would use yep. them in different places in the buyer journey. So let's think about an example of a product page, right? In a product page, you can use both upsell and cross-sell because there a customer is looking at a certain product. You can show them, you know, other similar products that maybe you would prefer or additional products that go along with this one. And they're in a browsing state of mind and that's great. But let's think about like the checkout and card experience. Here, I would say that upsell is probably not a good idea, but cross-sell is a great one. So again, I'll give examples. Let's say that you wanted to buy a jacket from my store. You chose your jacket, you went to cart. And now I try and do an upsell and I show you a fancier, more expensive jacket. I'm creating friction for the customer. I'm confusing them at that mm -hmm. critical point in their buyer journey where instead of checking out and buying, now I'm making them second guess their choice. Do I want this jacket? Do I want the other jacket? Like which one is better? Oh my God, I need to go and get a coffee and not buy this jacket now. Um, but if I were to do a cross sell there, so again, you chose your jacket, you got to the checkout, and then I give you a little suggestion like, hey, do you want to add on this lint roller for another $5? Um, then you're probably going to be happy and be like, yeah, that's great. I didn't even think about the fact that I need a lint roller for this jacket. I'll add it in. It's only another $5, right? And then I've effectively done a cross-selling mm -hmm. the checkout experience. So you need to think again about the intent of your customers, where you're meeting them with the right offer. The offer needs to be something that's driving value for them and helping them in their shopping journey and not just something that's like salesy or causing friction. But here I'll say like, if you want yep. benchmarks, even on basic things. So we see um, in our networks with stores who add related items to their product pages, um, get an average of 43% more sales transactions than stores who don't. So obviously Cressa and Upsell can be really effective ways of driving those sales and increasing um, your, your, your average order value and, and transactions. So you definitely want to be aware of the different options. Think about the right place um, in your journey. Again, with bundles, I think I always like to call bundles like the weird offspring of cross-sell and upsell because they kind of take them and, and mix them together. I think bundles are a great way um, of driving value for your customers. You can either give them you know, the main product with related items at a better rate than if they were buying them individu individually. If you're trying to, them, to get them to buy that more superior product and then you bundle in some additional items for free, that's a way of showing them value and appreciation for them making that more expensive buy. So there are a lot of different ways of using bundles and you can really customize them for specific, you know, types of shoppers and customer segments so that you're really bringing them um, a lot of value. And, you know, if you're using upsell, cross-sell bundles correctly, it's not just about pushing another sale to your customer. If you think about it, when somebody comes to an online store, who knows how they got there, right? They might have been searching the web. They might have been on social media. They had, might have been somewhere. They land on this product page. They don't necessarily know your brand, your store, what you have to offer. 
it's a way of helping them to find what they're looking for. So you're saying, hey, I see you're looking at this product. I know based on my data and other shoppers that you might also be interested in these things. Or maybe you'd prefer these things, which are the more popular versions of the one that you're looking at, right? Or if you buy that thing, you probably need this other thing for it to work, right? So a lot of times it's about making sure that they have all the related things that they need to properly um, utilize a product. So in that sense, you're bringing a lot of value to your customer. You're making sure that they're not just getting stuck with the one thing that they happened you know, to find or start with. You're really showing them what you have to offer, helping them to choose the right thing for their needs and wants. Um, and hopefully along the way, doing better business. Yeah, absolutely. And there's, there's and, and you know, this t- bundle, you know, I've, I've seen a lot of sellers using bundle strategy because they need to get to a certain, you know, uh, like, for example, on Amazon, they will sell their shampoo and conditioner separately and then maybe also as a bundle. But on their website, they'll only sell it as a bundle because of the, you know, cost to acquire a customer and needing to, to hit a certain, you know, average order value. Um, and so thinking about, you know, what is my cost of customer acquisition? What are how much do my products cost and how can I potentially try to increase things? increase the, the average order value so that I can, um, you know, continue to drive cu- new customer acquisition, uh, it, you know, something you should be, you should be thinking about. And I, I've seen more and more people driving kind of towards, towards bundles to make the, to make the math work in terms of the cost to acquire, to acquire uh, a customer. Right. Um, and to your point, I think you can position it from, from an element of education. Like you shouldn't be only using the shampoo. You should be using this with the shampoo and conditioner for, you know, for the, for the, for the results that you kind of want to, want to see from, from the products. Um, so, um, and, and, you know, is there like within Wix, for example, is there opportunity to do an upsell almost like post-purchase? So like, I don't want to lose the customer. Uh, I want to get their credit card info. I want them to make the buy, but like on the thank you page, uh, I can get them to like, Hey, add this to your order for only, for only $5. So I don't have that friction. Yeah. Is that, you know, I know, so, yeah. you know, uh, I've seen that. Yeah, we platforms. have options for adding those um, cross sales into um, the cart and checkout, and then you know various different things that you can use throughout the website, whether um, you know it's elements on the page or different um, pop-ups or sliders or things like that that are based uh, on rules and your customer behavior. So you can set up all of that kind of stuff while users are actually still you know actively on the website in the shopping process, and then. The other thing that you want to think about are setting up automations, right? And I think that here, like the most popular and obvious one is going to be abandoned cart recovery. So, you know, you want to make sure that if a customer did start engaging or did start um, that shopping process, that you're making sure that you don't lose them. So for us, we see that like Wix stores who set up abandoned cart recovery increase sales up to 29%. That's a huge deal. It's a one-time thing that you set up. It's an automation that goes out to anyone who abandons carts. Um, and it's building, you know, that, that increase in transactions and orders for you over time. But you can set up those kinds of automations for all kinds of things. It doesn't have to be just for abandoned carts. So you can think about all kinds of customer behavior. So either if you have just, you know, new subscribers um, or members to your store, 
then making sure you're sending them an automation with some kind of value. Maybe it's a discount coupon or some or something to help encourage them to shop. If you have um, you know, a product that runs out like those consumables um, and you know that like whatever, I sell you hand cream and my hand cream is going to run out in 30 days. So make sure you have automation set up that go out to customers 25 days after they purchase their hand cream, reminding them to come and get their next hand cream. Um, so, you know, really just be thinking about um, your customer, your product, that journey and, and what's going to drive value and, and bring them to make those additional sales. Um, and I think there's two others we could just throw in the mix here, which again, don't work for every business, but I'd say think about subscriptions. Obviously, um, when you offer product subscriptions, you're building that um, recurring uh, revenue model and, and starting to produce a steady stream of income. And you're also creating customers who are more valuable to you over time. And here, there are all kinds of ways you can set up subscriptions. Mm -hmm. You can do it like for individual recurring products, just so people don't have to reorder. Um, you can think if you offer products as one of, or, or as subscriptions or only as sub subscriptions, um, obviously you can create these kind of subscription boxes and curated themed um, subscriptions that people get on different frequency basis. So there are a lot of ways that you can build that in as um, another way for building out that, uh, that value. Um, and another one that I think is interesting is gift cards because gift cards, A, improve cash flow and generate immediate revenue, even if they're not going to get used. Um, mm -hmm. They also help promote brand awareness because a lot of times people buy them for other people. So somebody else gets exposed to your brand um, through your shopper. And mostly people end up spending more than the gift card value. So like based on mm -hmm. data from um, our platform, and we have a, a great app in our app market called Gifted, um, typically customers spend 38% more than the gift card value. So um, that's another mm. great way to like create that upsell situation through a product that you're offering. So is it just a matter of offering the ability to buy gift cards in the store or is it, um, is it integrating gift card in, in, a, in no, another way? I think it's way? just the fact that you're offering gift cards. When people are buying gift cards, typically when they come back and spend yeah. that gift card, they end up just spending more than the actual gift card right. value. So it's a way of you increasing what that average order value would look like. So again, think about the situation that you're that you're right. offering it in, um, and especially around like holiday season, right? That's a great time. You get all of the last minute shoppers. People can buy gift cards literally up until you know the minute that the holiday kicks in. There's no fulfillment needed. So you know, right? And, and you can be creative, right? You can run a you know ten percent off all gift cards, right? Or you you can run like a um, you can try to drive that, right? Especially, like you said, the last four or five days before Christmas, if you're not going to get the orders to people on time, you can really drive towards towards the gift cards and incentivize people to buy to buy the gift cards. And like you said, that's also not just uh, a gift card that you're selling because it's it's a most likely a new new to brand customer that you're going to yeah. be acquiring as well, right? So it's actually more valuable than the person buying for themselves, right? Because you're now 
you you have that person already and now you're exposing your your brand to to a new a new potential customer great for your brand um so i wanted to, to touch a little bit on on wix so uh, i know you mentioned um you know an, an app store so um, I know there's kind of the, there's an integration with with a lot of apps that allow you to have kind of more more functionality of of what you can do within uh, within a Wix mm-hmm. um, store. Uh, that uh, yeah. accurate? So I mean, we have like many platforms uh, and app markets where we have various solutions connected there. You know, and in the space of e-commerce, we have a lot of shipping and fulfillment solutions, um, a lot of other retention, marketing, whatever partners. So yeah, just if you're looking for something very specific, um, either based on where you are, based on a specific need, then we try to offer even more functionality through the app market. And got it. Okay, great. And and how does how does Wix kind of view themselves, I guess, in the overall sort of like platforms for you know, for, for e-commerce selling, obviously there's others, you know, there, there's the Shopify and the WooCommerce and the BigCommerce and, and, you know, a, a mm-hmm. bunch of platforms um, along with Wix. Is, is it, is it the idea of like simplicity and ease of building out, out a store along with the um, sort of customer journey across like, you know, your, your own brick and mortar, your other, your other channels tracking the inventory. Like how does, I guess, um, you know, is there like a, a sort of unique uh, offering, you know, to the marketplace, let's say, versus, you know, the, the five other big kind of maybe competitors out there that are um, that are offering basically solutions to, to build out a, you know, a, a, yeah. a, an e-commerce so store? I think one of the core values at Wix is always the fact that we want to um allow our users to do whatever they need and be open in the areas that they need us to be open so that they can do whatever they want, not limit them in terms of the store um, design and development, development for the backend, making sure that we have all those open APIs that they're able to develop on top of whatever they need, but not putting them in a situation where they need to do that. So making sure that our core native functionality is robust and strong enough so that we're taking care of the heavy duty stuff that you don't need to take care of, right? So things like security and performance and processing, and also making sure that all of the core functionality around your business is integrated. And, you know, by us offering native solutions for e-commerce, for CRM, for analytics, for your finances and, and payment provider, it means that all of those things function together, truly function together, and you get real data across all of them. And then, you know, there are elements that are external to your core that then you can connect into that on top. So I think that, you know, in, in terms of Wix, that where we said we want to offer, you know, unlimited creation and development on the platform, um, but make sure that we're taking care of all the critical core stuff for our users. Excellent. Um, okay, excellent. Well, it's really been great um, speaking with you. I know people can follow you. Uh, I think it's at Liat Carpel, L-I-A-T-K-A-R-P-E-L, um, on Twitter and as well as on LinkedIn. I'll, I'll add it in, in the in the show notes. And um, where can people generally just follow content? Um, is there a Wix blog or, or Wix YouTube channel where you're um, kind of putting out e-commerce 
related yeah, uh, related so content. We actually have an e-commerce blog, a dedicated blog just for e-commerce. Um, and we also have our own community um, for e-commerce merchants. So you can just go to wix.com slash e-commerce um, and you'll find our dedicated web pages. Our dedicated blog is there. Um, we actually have an, a Wix e-commerce school um, where we do a lot of workshops and, and tutorials to help people mm. um, through the process and, and figure out how to grow and sell online. So you can check that out um, and just search for um, our Wix stores group on Facebook. You'll find the community there and we'd love to have anyone um, come chat or join. Excellent. Great. Thank you so much for, uh, for joining us. Thank you uh, for having me. I had a good time. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to the show. If you have not left a review on Apple iTunes podcasts would love one. And if you know of any great, uh, topics for the podcast or uh, people that should be on the podcast that could add value would love for an introduction and i will see you on next episode of the e-commerce mindset podcast